Hello and welcome to the Raw Podcast brought to you by the Sunderland Echo, also coming to you live on Facebook and Twitter. So don't forget to like, share and subscribe wherever you are watching. My name's James Copley. I'm joined today by Phil Smith. Phil, a bit of a come down for you today after your Sky Sports debut last night. <laughs> I'm just relieved. I think this camera's a bit more flattering than the Sky one. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, indeed. Obviously, at the um, the uh, Riverside Stadium last night to watch Sunderland lose to Middlesbrough. Obviously, the massive story was Phil that Ross Stewart pulled up in the warm up. That is a, a huge blow. Yeah, it, it's almost like the we've all been living with this existential fear for about six months, haven't we? I think when um, what game was it? Nathan Broadhead did his hamstring. I can't quite remember. But since then, we've kind of always been on tenterhooks, haven't we? And, you know, what if Ross Stewart gets an injury and? And to be fair, it, you couldn't really pick a worse time because, you know, as Tony Mowbray alluded to after, I think you have to have quite a lot of sympathy for both him and the players because there isn't a like up for light replacement. Um, and Middlesbrough's a tough enough test. If you look at the championship experience they've got, the quality of the manager, um, that's going to be a tricky game even with probably, well, arguably your best and most important player. So, yeah, I, I felt like it was just a frustrating night, really, in the first half, sort of understandably. You know, you could understand why Sunderland looked a little bit muddled because they didn't have that outlet. And to be fair, while well, the Sims, I thought he did put himself about, but he's up against three top championship centre halves: McNair, Dale Fry, Matt Clark. You get about getting any team in the league, I think. Um, and then the second half was much better, but again, you know, just lacking that little bit of cutting edge. And as we've seen a lot over the course of the season, you know, not quite having the options on the bench to change it. I thought Embleton did well when he came on in terms of making Sunderland tick, getting in positions but you know it's going to take time for Ahmad for example to settle Diaku coming on at wing back it's never going to be really an area where he massively impacts the game because he's not going to get sort of one-on-one so it was just a really 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 frustrating night I think not in a I don't mean that to be critical of the players or the staff it was a difficult set of circumstances and maybe some of the things we've spoken about in terms of depth and what have you over the start of the season kind of came back to the fore I think. Yeah it's a tough one isn't it because I don't think Sunderland imploded or were, you know, horrific in the performance. It was disjointed. You could tell Stuart wasn't there, but you know, this is a man that played what forty-eight games in the championship. Uh, sorry, forty-eight games in League One last season, including the playoffs. Actually, forty, yeah, forty-nine, including the playoffs. Um, second legs in the final, and then he's played seven games already this season. So you are going to notice him if he's if he's, you know, taken out of the side. And he started every game last season as well, and has started every game this season so it's a tough one the other injury worry was Dennis Serkin as well Phil what's the latest on him yeah we're not really sure of the severity of that one um, it is his hamstring um, you could almost tell straight away there was sort of pulled up when he tracked back to try and stop a counter attack there was nobody anywhere near him so you can tell straight away it's a muscle injury I think with Stuart and Serkin they're going to have to be scanned but I think it probably is safe to say we won't see them again before the international break you know we've got three games in seven days from Saturday I'd be stunned if either of them were sort of involved in that time period. And I guess the question, the big question is whether they'll be available after the international break. It's a punishing schedule in October, I think there's six or seven games, which is going to be really important for Sunderland. So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. But they're two big blows and you, you couldn't write it really. They're kind of two of the positions, sort of left back and up front, where after deadline day, people were saying, mm, you know, what if we get an injury there? And then you get both of them within, you know, 70 minutes of each other. Um yeah, you, could, you couldn't really make it up. But it's the first test from Aubrey, isn't it, really, in a way? Because mm. 
to his to his absolute credit for that Rotherham game, came in and said, "I've watched this team against Norwich, one of the best teams in the division, and they were excellent. So I'm just gonna I'm not gonna have an ego about it. I'm just gonna say, you go and do what you're doing under Alex Neil. Um, he doesn't really have that option anymore because I think whatever he does to the team now on Saturday, um, he's gonna have to change things a little bit. So it's gonna be interesting to see how he manages that because it's definitely even the first time I think we see his kind of stamp on the team, if you like." No, it will be very interesting because it's going to revolve around, you would assume, how to get the best out of uh, Ellis Sims, whether that's playing that box with Robertson, Pritchard in behind. I thought Middlesbrough, Middlesbrough Middlesbrough's midfield did a, a number on, on Sunderland's really and obviously the first time playing that formation in a while, it didn't see it really blend. But if you had to sort of put your money on it, Phil, would you... Could you see Mowbray maybe changing to four at the back, given the injuries? I know it's a, a big call for you to make, but it's a possibility, isn't it? It's definitely a possibility. I, I suppose the issue there is then becomes in defence, isn't it? Because without Saken, you haven't got a natural left-back. Um, Elise, we know, can play there, but obviously he hasn't played much football all the season, so it's a big ask for him to go in kind of out of position. In inverted commas, and obviously then, you know, Luke O'Nine's done a decent job on the right of a back three, but is it too big an ask for him to do it just in a back, you know, a flat back four? Um, you've also got Bailey Wright, but Alex Neal was clearly quite reluctant to pair Barton Wright together in championship football. So we don't know whether Tony Mowbray will see it the same way. So I think the, the, probably the most natural solution, like you say, is to go back to a kind of 4-2-3-1 with Roberts and Clark out wide. Then that leaves you with a couple of dilemmas in defence as well. So, yeah, it's kind of what we were saying sort of heading into deadline day and certainly after it, there were a couple of difficult issues to kind of suss out. Um, yeah, but, you know, Christian Spoon was pretty clear last Friday that they were looking for another centre-half, but when the opportunity comes, you know, they need to see Adji Lise play. They've paid a fee for him to bring him in. You know, it was seen as a bit of a coup at the time. Um, so I suspect it's going to be time to have a look at him um, in whatever position that is, which, you know, to be fair, that's the model. That's what he's there for. Um, and you know, like, fingers crossed, he can have that impact because Serkin's been an excellent player this season, a really important player. So, yeah, it's a definitely a, a big blow. You look at the three players that are well, if the four players that are out injured at the moment: Huggins, Serkin, Stewart, and who's the other one that's just completely Ballard. Ballard, that's it. Yes, sorry. You look at those four players. We'll get there in the end, Phil. I promise. Um, <laughs> you look at those four players, and they're sort of all four of them in different ways. Shine in light of what Sunderland's um, recruitment model would aspire to be without the injuries. It's unfortunate that they've all got injuries. Um, there's lots of positive stuff about this recruitment model. It differs vastly from the old Sunderland recruitment model of the Premier League game, uh, Premier League years, which was just about tread and water. Who can we get? There wasn't really much sort of structure and planning behind it in terms of the makeup of the squad, the character of the squad, what someone were trying to achieve. That all seems to have changed now, but there's still criticisms to be made in terms of, of depth. And it seems to be a, a quite a large and extensive argument online at the moment in terms of how well Christian Speakman is doing. And I guess, Phil, the truth is usually somewhere in the middle. It's not as bad as people think, and it's probably not as really, really good as people think. He's he's done yeah. reasonable work, but as you know, with everything, there's some flaws in there too. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that the the first thing to say is that I think if you compare the squad that Speakman inherited on day one to the squad that's there now, in terms of potential future value of the club, you know, there's absolutely no comparison. There was next to no value in that squad he inherited on day one, which isn't to say there weren't good players in it, because there were good players in it, but not ones who had sort of a future value to the club. 
you know, that's completely changed now. You know, and it is worth dwelling on that because that is, you know, the club was in a dire financial state because of its recruitment model, first and foremost. And I do think it's in a much better position now. I think the two sort of key criticisms in terms of, you know, running quite a lean squad um, and also maybe being quite proactive and letting players go. I think that that's a matter of debate, isn't it? Sunderland's view is that you don't want players not involved, you know, that they can become disruptive influences. um, And also that it's really important that you let players go when they don't get much game time because that'll help you recruit players because you can say to them, look, if it's not working out for you here, we'll we'll kind of let you go. I, I think at the moment it, it's because the frustration is that you're kind of looking at thinking, oh well, if only we had one or two more really championship experienced players, we might have had another four points. Um, and I can totally understand that because I was thinking that myself last night. Oh, if you just had a kind of battle hardened centre yeah. forward that you could bring on, or you know, a left back just to give you something or whatever, it might have changed the result of the game. Even as, far back as the, even as far back as the Coventry and QPR games. Just, yes, 100%. You know. But I think with that debate, I suppose what we've got to remember as well is that Christian Speakman's working to the budget and the long-term strategy that's been set by the ownership group. It's not the strategy that Christian Speakman set. It's what he's been asked to execute. And from the owner's perspective, they're not looking at the playoffs this season. Yes, that would be amazing if it happened. But in terms of the budget they've set, they want to go incrementally. And that's why we've seen youngsters come in and we're looking at it because we're watching Sunderland all the time and we're desperate for them to win every game we're looking at it frustrated because we're going well you've, you've brought Mishu in but he's not ready to play yet and we've dropped points here well if your kind of strategy for the season is to consolidate and build it over time you don't, you're not too worried if Mishu's not available for three weeks you know if you think he's a good player who over a long period of time is going to grow your value you'll wait for him to get match fit if you like um, because you know it's not about necessarily finishing in the top two this season. So I totally get the frustration because I've felt that in just about every game myself this season, watching on, I'm just thinking, oh, come on, where's that? You know, where's that striker to come on and, and and bring a bit of energy? But fundamentally, you know, it's 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 a model that's something to follow. And as I said at the start, it's it's hard to argue with in terms of if you're trying to grow the club financially, it's very obvious to see what the benefits of that are. And as we've discussed, you, it's the best example of that. Someone who took six months himself before he became, you know, Sunderland's leading striker, took time to settle and what have you. So, yeah, I think we're going to have this discussion a lot this season and I think mm-hmm. there are going to be some frustrating nights. Um, and it's difficult at the moment because we don't know what standard of, standard these players are. Do you know what I mean? We, we don't know. Maybe in yeah, three yeah. weeks' time, Mishu will come in and he'll be outstanding and we'll all go, oh, wow, that mm-hmm. was worth the wait. Um, so it, it is difficult at the moment, but I totally get the frustration. I do think that you need three strikers for any season. And obviously, Sunderland's argument is that Ahmad can play there. It's probably a bit early to tell to make a judgment on that. He did some good things last night. There were times where he looked a bit unsure of his role. Um, but I certainly think it's a big risk to go into a season with two strikers, um, particularly when you're playing 3 5 2. That's been one of the odd things about the season. We've got a lot of wingers mm, and a system mm. that's not really playing wingers and yeah, two yeah. strikers. And when you're playing with two, I think that's been like an odd quirk. And I think that's maybe something that happened a bit by accident just because I don't think, you know, Sims and Stewart formed such a brilliant partnership that Alex Neal almost was like, right, well, we've got to get them in the team. So that's one thing that at the moment seems a bit strange. You've kind of got five or six guys that could play out wide and you haven't really got room for them. So, yeah, it, it is an interesting one. That's a contrast as well, I've noticed, with 
a lot of the teams, Sunderland have faced particularly Bristol City, um, Coventry, listening to their fans and their writers, they've all got like three, four, five options up front and decent options as well. You know, Coventry having Waghorn, who's not really playing, and the Gordon and and whatnot. I, I guess, Phil, it's interesting, isn't it? Because fans tend to judge transfer windows one at a time. But the way sporting directors work, the way football clubs work, the way football works at the moment, there tends to be that longer-term view, the building over several transfer windows. There's, there's a plan over seasons and years and incremental gains and stuff like that. So maybe part of the problem with the with the, the differences of opinion amongst the fan base is maybe the way we view football and that need for, and I completely understand it because Sunderland have been rubbish for a long time, it would be great to see them actually be good, but that sort of need for instant gratification. Well, I think that it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because if you look at it, if you look at what happened last January, for example, you know, you, it's particularly in that circumstance, you're setting the moral, which I think everyone would agree with in principle, by the way, doing mm. things very differently to how they've been done before. But everyone could also see that you needed to get out of League One regardless of your model. So that then impacts how you view maybe the fact that a couple of positions had been left light because then you're kind of thinking, well, what if you get an injury, you know? And so I think, and I think in some ways that's why we've seen the model go to an even more extreme length this summer because there isn't that sort of instant pressure. Um, and I think even you could argue the, the appointment of Alex Neil to a large extent came from this idea of, okay, our model's great, but we have to get out of the league this year. And part of the reason they hired Alex Neal was because he had such a good record of making an instant improvement on teams. So I think that this summer, it, it, like I say, it's almost taken that model to the extreme. I think the average age of the 10 players that's come in, it's something like 20.7. Because from their perspective, you know, this is the, almost the real start of the journey, if you like. And they're taking a very, very long view on it. You know, and, and they're investing in young players. And if that means they lose a game to a very... Um, experienced and quite expensively assembled middles of squad with a wage bill well in excess of Sunderland's right now. That's part of the process. Um, but that is difficult for us to stomach when you're watching it. And like I yeah, say, you're going yeah, through yeah. that emotion of, oh, you know, where's that guy with 300 championship experiences who can come on and battle and take a bit of pressure off Ella Sims? Um, and who knows, maybe by January, depending on how the season's going, they may feel they need to make that correction. They might be in a similar position to last January where they go, well, okay, this is good. But we need to meet our primary objective, which is consolidating. So maybe we need to address the balance a bit. Um, only, only time will tell. The one thing I will say is that you know Tony Mowbray very, very clearly understands exactly what he's walked into, if you like, and what his brief is. Um, and he's been very clear that you know it'll take time to settle in these new signings, and there might be some difficult days along the way. Um, so I totally take your point. I think there is going to be a battle between that. And it's not just fans, us as well, you know, that desire for instant gratification. Um, yeah, there is a balance to be had somewhere, isn't it? And I guess time will tell whether Sunderland have nudged that a bit too far in this window. We'll have to wait and see. Absolutely. It is it is interesting because, yeah, actually, we'll, we'll touch on that. In terms of, of the four players that were paraded on the pitch at Rotherham, obviously Ahmad made his debut against Middlesbrough off the bench. You know, he's a player who's been bought for a lot of money. He was actually played for United's first team. So you'd ex you'd expect him to be in and around there. But then you've got Mishoot, who's played seven or eight times for PSG's first team, a lot of those times off the bench. You've got Barr, who's been playing in League Two. 
Um, Jewison Bennett, who I've had discussions with friends about this, saying throw him in. He's a he's a international. Um, what's the worst that can happen? But the flip side to that is he's coming to a new league. He's 18, 19, playing in the AFL. You know, there's a lot actually could go wrong when you when you think about it. How far? I know they're all individual cases, Phil, but how far away do you think those three are? Because to my mind. I guess I'm answering your question for you here, but it is very difficult to tell. But they've clearly been brought to the club for a reason, so it's 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 tough because you don't want to you don't want to rush them and ruin them, but they will need to play at some point as well. Yeah, well, well, I, well, I think I think they are different cases, and I think that's important. I think this year it's primarily an issue of match fitness because he's not played yet this season. I think he's someone who, like you say, has you know experience at a very high level, senior football as well. Also, I think his English is pretty good. Um, so I don't think there's going to be issues in terms of getting them to understand the system and that kind of thing. So I think that's just an issue with match fitness. You know, Mowbray mentioned to me last week that he try and organise a couple of sort of behind closed doors friendlies as well. Um, similar to Abdullah Bar, I think, who again hasn't played at high level as Mishu, but has played a decent amount of senior football. I think with Burnett, it's the acclimatisation that's a big thing, you know, in terms of learning the language, getting settled in the country and what have you. So I, I I think you're right to say they are on different trajectories. Um, so I would imagine that Mishi would probably be the first to come in, but when, when that'll be, I don't know. Um, very difficult to tell at this stage. But you know, Tony Mowbray did mention to me last week that he was reluctant to sort of throw them in against Millwall um, <laughs> because that would be such a big shock to the system. So <laughs> that suggests that yeah, so that suggests that maybe you know at a push one or two of them will be on the bench on Saturday, but it sounds like it's looking more towards maybe after the international break, which is high risk. And, you know, as we said, you know, there's something to be said for having someone to come in on day one and be ready. Um, but obviously Sunderland's view is that, you know, over time it'll be worth the wait and that they'll they'll sort of be, they'll grow in value very, very quickly. Just quickly and lastly, obviously, Leon Diakou came on at left wing back, as you mentioned in the podcast earlier. Bit of a fresh start for him, perhaps, under Tony Mowbray. I know he struggled with some um, issues, quote-unquote, at the start of the season, fitness and whatnot, but I got the impression that Alex Neil didn't really fancy him, to be honest, um, before he left. He just didn't get any consistency of training, did he? And that, and that didn't give him any chance, I think, to make an impression on Neil. And Certainly last season, Neil wasn't in a position where he was going to sort of wait for players to find the rhythm. You know, he was mm. very, very clear that it was about the next game. Um, he didn't wasn't really bothered who he upset along the way. So I don't think it was necessarily a massive judgment on Diaki. He just never, he was never going to get ahead of players who were training every day and who were sort of yeah, settled yeah. in the system. And then obviously this season, you know, he started pre-season. But then I think he's sort of had two or three thigh issues, didn't he, that kept recurring. And again, he just wasn't getting that consistency of training. So he's another one where at the moment it's difficult because there isn't really a role for him in the current sort of three-five-two. He could play up front, but it's not really his position. He can play wing back, but it's not really his position. Um <laughs> so yeah, it's one where he would be he would be another one who would benefit, I think, from going to a back four and sort of playing with wingers. Um so we'll see if Mowbray does that, but one thing is for sure, he's going to be involved in the squad on Saturday, isn't he? So potentially there, there's another chance for him to get off the bench and make an impact. And, and hopefully he does, because he's an, he's an investment on the club's part. Um, you know, they've, they've paid a, a proper fee for him um, and he's on a long contract. So they, so they need him playing, they need him involved. 
Um, and yeah, hopefully, as you say, it's a bit of a fresh start from now and a new manager. But the big thing is just getting consistency of training because that's what he's not really had for probably the best part of six months. Yes, interesting times um, coming up on Wayside. Obviously, got Millwall uh, on Saturday, another win there, and all is right as rain again. And nobody's talking about recruitment models. Hopefully, there's no injuries as well or extra injuries, and hopefully, all will be um, all will be well in the world of Sunderland again. But yeah, Phil, thank you once again uh, for joining me, and thanks to the listener for checking in to the Raw Podcast. You can head over to the. Sunderland Echo website for all of the latest news on the club and all of the build-up to Sunderland's next two games. Thank you once again for listening.